and welcome to Reliving My Youth. My name is Noel Fogelman. Duncan Sheik returns to the podcast, making him the first returning guest in the show's history. I mean, he's won so many awards, Tony's, Grammy, Billboard Music Award, but this has to take the cake. His latest album, Live at the Cafe Carlisle, comes out December 4th. We just discussed that album. We also discussed his updated version of Barely Breathing, Barely Breathing Year 45. We talked the state of Broadway. I mean, he's heavily involved in it and will it ever recover post-pandemic. And he gives me a little bit of a backstory on some of my favorite Duncan Sheik songs. I love when Duncan comes on the show. He's great. And I hope you enjoy my conversation with him. So, Duncan, I want to congratulate you for Bailey Breathing, Dear 45, and single-handedly handing a presidency to Joe Biden with that song. So <laughs> right, I know. I know. My, my contribution to the cause. But <laughs> well, I know what you're doing. I see it all too clear. I only taste the saline when I kiss away your tears. You really had them going. Wishing on a star But the black holes that surround you Are heavier by far You believed in their confusion They're so completely torn It must have been that yesterday The day that they were born There's not much to examine Nothing left to hide serious if you have to ask me why I say goodbye cause you are barely breathing and you can't find the air I don't know who you're kidding imagine if we care you will stand there waiting a fool for another day to find what they never know 
clear. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. It's like, I, I, obviously, you know, you can vote and then you can sort of speak your mind in whatever way. And it's not, you know, beyond that, there's, you have no control over how things go down. And um, so, you know, in a way it was, I just, I, I was looking for a reason to do this remix of Barely Breathing and, and I found one. So there it is. Yeah, no. Thanks the, actually, thanks to the Lincoln Project, they—they're the ones who kind of came up with the idea. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, they—they're—they're um, they're definitely an interesting follow on on Twitter and yeah. social media. Absolutely. What, what have you written, or I guess adjusted, belly breathing? Had there not been a quarantine? Well, well, no. I mean, I sort of, you know, when I when I saw that little video that they put up of, I, I just thought, well, it'll be, you know, it'll be fun to just sort of. Um, flipped a perspective on the song right. from first person to second person to sort of point it, point it at uh, the the outgoing president. So, yeah, it was it was a, like a, just a, you know, I mean, honestly, it took me all of fifteen minutes to do it. So, was right. it wasn't like difficult, it wasn't so, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I know how like involved you are with you know, Broadway and everything like that, and being shut down obviously since since last March. Do you see like happy ending, so to speak, for the for Broadway? Mm. I, you know, I, I do not have a crystal ball. Um, my sense is that no matter what happens, um, there's going to be a, a kind of an expansion of, of uh, what it means to do theater sort of into other mediums. Um, beyond just the live stage, you know, in a theater context. Um, and obviously you've seen it happen now with sort of like Zoom theater events and and streaming events. And, um, you know, I think you'll, again, you'll see a lot more sort of socially distanced theater and environmental theater. And, um, and I think that's all to the good. I mean, it still leaves the, the very big unanswered question of, of what happens with those 30 some odd theaters in New York City um, right. and how they're gonna sort of uh, continue to, to um, you know, to, well, how, how they're gonna start um, finding a way to kind of make it financially feasible to, to put shows in, in houses like that. I just, you know, there's so many complications. And the, really the big problem is a sort of, um, it's a very practical problem, which is that those theaters operate on such a small margin, you know, like the, the, the cost to run a, a musical versus what they can generate. It's like, they really have to have, you know, 90% capacity for it, for them to be sort of turning a profit, and below that, they're just shows are losing money, generally speaking. So um, it's it's really really difficult to figure out how to how to do a show if there's only you know 300 people in the audience as opposed to a thousand. It's really very difficult. Right. I know uh, Whisper House came out early in the year, right? But I know that was off Broadway. But is there any future for that show? Yeah. So again, I mean, I'm sure. Um, I'm sure that we would all love to be able to sort of, you know, do do that show and, and all the all the actors 
who were in it worked so hard during the rehearsal process. And then it just literally, they had like an opening, like a, like a dress rehearsal right. and then it's, everything got shut down. So it was a real disappointment. Um, so again, I, you know, I, I don't know. I know that, so, you know, some of the actors in the show, um, Samantha Mathis in particular, you know, she's based in LA, so it may be hard to get the band back together, but you know, one, one hopes, of course. Right. And I know, uh, coming up soon, you have a live album live at Cafe Carlisle. Yeah. With a bunch of really cool songs. Uh, how did you decide on what songs you were going to put on the album? I mean, it's, it's fairly, um, indicative of, of, of what I was performing night to night there because right. it was like five shows at the Carlisle and I, I, you know, I had, I, I did switch it up to some degree, but, um, but those, those were songs that happened most of the nights there. And, um, and yeah, I mean, it was just, you know, it was basically a set of material that made sense in the context of that room right. with, with the, you know, with the, three other um, sort of forces that I was working with, Doug and Jason and Catherine, um, those were the songs that sort of made sense to right. do in context. And, uh, and you know, luckily we, we did a really proper sort of multi-track recording of, of every night, and which I'd never done before. And so it was, a, you know, Michael Tudor was able to mix it and Master it in it, and it, you know it sounds like a record, um, which is not not so not always the case with live right. recordings. So um, so I was really happy with that um, aspect of it. You know, like when I, in other words, when I, you know, when it comes on the speakers, I don't cringe. So that's sort of like my <laughs> right. <litmus. laughs> right, that's good. I know you had a couple covers on there. I know you had Strip, which was on your covers album, but you also had Fake Plastic Trees from yeah. Radiohead. Plastic watering can, fake Chinese rubber plant, fake plastic earth. She bought from a rubber man. Sound full of rubber plants to get rid of itself.
So how do you decide what songs you want to play? Well, that, you know, that particular song I've been playing since my very first tour, like when right. I was opening up for Jewel. And it's just, it's kind of been, you know, I like to say that Radiohead doesn't play it, so somebody's got to do it. You know, right. so, I, uh, <laughs> yeah. so I've been playing that song for over, you know, for, for 25 years. Um, and, uh, you know, and then that was actually, it was the week that, Tom Petty passed away, so that so there's a Tom Petty song right, in there, right. and then um, Forbidden Colors, you know, um, is a song that I actually was able to perform with Ryuichi Sakamoto at the Knitting Factory back, I guess it was '97 or '98, but um, but you know what, I, I wanted I wanted to to have a sort of a real memorialized version of that of right. performing that song, so. Um, you know, it's not Ryuichi Sakamoto playing piano, it's Jason yeah. Hart, but, um, but he, you know, he's, he, he does a great job with it. Right. That's awesome. Now, um, you know, recently they had the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductions and in the in, in memoriam, they blatantly, I don't know if blatantly, that's a terrible word to say, but they omitted uh, Rupert Hine, unfortunately. Yeah. And which was, yeah, I know he, you know, produced your first two albums. Um, what was the experience like working with Rupert? Well, I mean, Rupert was a total sweetheart um, from the minute I met him and until, you know, the very end. Um, he, uh, he was very gentle and very open and very encouraging and not at all heavy handed. And, you know, because I have always been an artist who's 
you know, kind of into the, the, the technology side of things and the engineering side of things and the, and, you know, frankly, the production side of things, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not the easiest artist to work with for okay. some producers. And, you know, <laughs> that's why I really, I haven't worked with that many producers. Um, uh, and, and Rupert sort of understood that right from the beginning. So he, you know, he, he was kind of, he, he had a very light touch with me. And, and then he also taught me a lot because frankly, as much as I thought I was able to make records when I was 25 and 26, you know, I, I didn't have that much experience doing it. So I, I needed somebody like him to kind of really show me how it's done. Um, and, and, you know, he, he did that in a, in a, almost sort of imperceptible way. And, and I did ultimately learn a lot from him. Right. Now, was Rupert the record company's choice? Did you want him? Sort of. Um, I mean, it, it, it came through Atlantic Records. Right. Um, but, I, you know, I didn't take, I, I didn't really have to be convinced. Right. Um, because I, I knew those records that he had made really well. And, um, you know, I, it, you know when I when I met him right away, um, it just seemed like it was going to be a really good fit. So, right, yeah. I, also, I, mean, I was I was happy to go. I was happy to go to. to um, well, he had like a little chateau, sort of north of Paris, right. um, where he had set up his recording studio. So that seemed like a pretty cushy <laughs> place to go. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, I, I recently interviewed Cy Curran of the Fix, who you yeah. know. Rupert produced a bunch of their albums and he told me the best story about Rupert was all the antique cars he had and was, yeah. able, was able to, you know, to drive a couple with, with Rupert. And he thought that was like the coolest thing. <laughs> yeah, no, that, you know, I remember flying into uh, Orly, I guess, the airport and him coming in some sort of Jaguar E-type and like <laughs> not really knowing how to fit all my luggage into right. the car, but we made it work, you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Now there's a couple of songs I just want to mention. Uh, so if you can just give me some of the background on them, you know, I guess throughout your, your catalog, we'll start with one of them that's on uh, Cafe Carlisle's Momento. Sleep in other beds 
it's better left Yeah, so that's a song that um, that I there's it was kind of born of my love of a, a certain stripe of sort of bossa nova uh, and and uh, sort of tropicalia music, sort of Brazilian music that um, that I've that I've always been really into and just wanting to do something with that kind of spirit about it, um, which, which really has a lot to do with a certain sort of, um, a certain sort of like harmonic palette and a kind of sense of, of, of doomed romance, you know, uh, and, and, and this combination of, of, you know, this sort of be beautiful sadness. Um, and, and it was also, you know, one of the times when I think I was able, or one of the first times I sort of married uh, an acoustic and an electronic kind of uh, hybrid in terms of the the, the sonic palette. Um, and, and that was sort of successful, like using a nylon string guitar and a Juno 106 and some drum programming and and then the, obviously there's real instrumentation there as well and great string arrangement that Simon did on the record. Um, so, you know, it was a kind of, um, I felt like always it was a very successful, um, um, a very successful sort of hybridization of some disparate sort of um, styles and, and, and sounds. Okay. And one from uh, Whisper House, the um, Tale of Solomon Snow. Listen, if you will, I have a tale to tell of an unfortunate man, the name of Solomon Snell, and the philosophy he should have embraced that says no matter what you do, You'll never be safe Ring the bell, ring the bell For Solomon's cell Too much trust Is the road to hell Rightfully nervous He took every precaution 
paid three armed men to drive him to Boston. But wouldn't you know it? He was broke on arrival. His own men robbed him and took off in style. So he wanted to marry a girl who was true. On the basis of her name, he wed Fidelity Prue. She had a handsome cousin. She would visit in Charlotte. Well, she said he was her cousin, the brazen harlot. You know, when I was writing that show with Kyle Jarrow, um, we sort of talked about having uh, like an, an old timey story song, sort of with having like a, a story song that's like a little miniaturization of a, of a story that's unrelated to the larger story arc of the show, but it sort of illustrates, you know, one of the themes. Um, and so it was sort of just an exercise in genre um, but it's, you know, it's like, a, a, again, I think sort of a cool chord progression using an interesting alternate tuning. Um, and then Simon Hale did this really fun little orchestration just using um, sort of one uh, 
French horn and trumpet and woodwind. And, and so um, again, it has this kind of, uh, it has this feeling like it, it comes from an earlier era of, of, of music writing and yet it's still, you know, contemporary, so. Right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And then one, uh, one from your covers, um, Depeche Mode just got inducted into the home, and unfortunately yeah. they uh, couldn't perform. It would have been awesome to see them perform a few songs at the induction ceremony, but yeah. uh, stripped. Come with me into the trees We'll lay on the grass let the hours pass take my hand come back to the land let's get away just for one day let me see you stripped down to the bone let me see you stripped down to the bone One of those songs that I think, you know, I remember distinctly being 15 or 16 and having my sort of first, uh, first kind of Sony Discman <laughs> and, and having Black Celebration right. 
um, you know, in, in the dismantled. I think like being in an airport somewhere, you know, I think I was in Charlotte, North Carolina and uh, listening to that song and sort of normally, you know, the way you're in airports and you're just like, oh my God, get me away from all these people. <laughs> right, right. And, and listening to that music on the disc man and being in the midst of that crowd of people and suddenly feeling this weird sense of sort of compassion for everybody. It was like, wow, you know, sort of like, wow, like music is really powerful what it can do to your emotional state and to your outlook and to your, um, your sort of spiritual state really. So that, that song always meant a lot to me as a sort of touchstone of, of what music can do and what an interesting sort of melodic line, simple melodic line against a sort of simple chord progression, how powerful that can be. Right. Um, the Cover Me songs uh, blog just did a top 25 uh, best covers of Depeche Mode and yours was on there. Oh, great. Yeah. I, maybe you could send that to me just so I can see. Yeah, I, I will. I will. I mean, Johnny Cash was number one with Personal Jesus. You know, you yeah. could be Johnny Cash, but I mean, that's a good one. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm just I'm happy to be in his company. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I'll, I'll send it to you. But uh, going back to uh, the first album, uh, Serena. Seem long 
Oh yeah, so that was a song that, you know, it's funny, um, there, <laughs> there's this sort of stripe of, of songs that that is kind of I'm really more on my first two records where I'm kind of being like a little bit philosophically prescriptive in a way. Right. <laughs> Which, you know, it's really stupid for any 25 year old to be attempting. But anyway, that's one of those songs and, but it, you know, what was fun about it is um, Fran Banish, the, the um, guitar player who's on the first record um, and, and who I was sort of in a band with in LA before I went to go make that record. Um, you know, he just played this really cool solo and, and, and it's really just like this looping chord progression. Um, and, uh, you know, with this kind of, in a way, um, this this lyric that's that's trying to be much more profound than it actually is, but but as a piece of music, it's kind of cool, and the guitar solo is is really fun, and it was always fun to play live. So um, yeah, I'm glad it it exists right. <laughs> despite all its flaws. Yeah, was uh, Serena fictitious or is based on somebody? It was in like an amalgam of yeah. of a of a of a few people that I that I knew. Um, and in fact, you know, somebody who I went to college with named Serena, it's not about her at all, but, right. you know, but, but it's just, uh, the name sort of suggested a certain type of person. Right. <laughs> and another one, uh, in absence of the sun. For all the good you say it does, it seems no better when you had your say. Just because the words get colder when you've gone away. I thought I understood what I was to you.
So yeah, that song, you know, that was one of the songs that I had done a demo of when I was first sort of trying to to parlay my kind of publishing deal with BMG into like a proper record deal. Um, and that was one of the songs that, you know, it was, I remember I, I was like when I first got one of those Akai eight track digital recorders. And I was able to do some vocal harmony stuff that I hadn't been able to do on a four track, you know, cause that's, and, and, and I was really excited about that. And, you know, I think if I listened to that demo today, I'd be like, Oh my God, it sounds awful. But at the <laughs> time I, was, I thought, Oh, this sounds really cool. Yeah. And it was one of the, one of the recordings that sort of helped me, um, that helped get the attention of the folks at Atlantic. Right. And then, and then interestingly, when I went to do the song with Rupert, I almost, I almost threw it out cause I couldn't sort of get it. So I couldn't like, and I wasn't happy with the recording. And then when Simon Hale did the string arrangement to it, it sort of totally tied the room together and, um, and, and that, you know, and then it stuck around. Right. Yeah. Did, did Rupert, uh, like, immediately love belly, belly breathing? Yeah, I think Rupert did. I think Rupert was sort of savvy enough that he, that he, you know, was really happy to exploit it for all of its sort of, uh, you know, pop, whatever right. possibilities. And, and, and the, and certainly the folks at Atlantic, Ron Shapiro and, um, you know, they, they were, they were, they were always, they always sort of knew in, in a way that I never understood. Like they knew like, oh, that's really a radio hit. And it's funny cause I, cause I, I, you know, it's not the way I really think about music. And of course, you know, you're always happy to have a hit on the radio. I don't, I don't want to turn my nose up at it, yeah. but I just don't understand why one song is a hit. And yeah. one isn't. I really, to this day, you know, it's just, yeah. Not, I'm, you know, obviously as the writer, you're sort of too close to everything. And, right. and, and I think, you know, my own, my taste is just sort of left of center enough that it's just not normally a place that I go to. So, um, I, you know, I feel like when I, you know, there, there's, there's a, a weird sort of cognitive dissonance um, within myself, which is that, you know, I, I want every song that I write, I, I want, as many people as possible to enjoy it, and you right. want everything to be, you know, a hit. But, but of course, um, 
but I, but my taste is just sort of left of center. So it's, I'm, I'm, I'm never really aiming at the bullseye. So if it does happen, it's sort of by accident. Right. I mean, it's been, well, I guess, almost 25 years now, right? Since that album. Yeah, it's been 20, it has been 25 yeah. years. I mean, right. With, that song was written exactly 25 years ago because it was like the Thanksgiving before I went back to record the record in Paris that it was, it was like the last song that was written for the record. So right. yeah. Has your taste of music changed over those 25 years? Um, well, yes and no. I mean, I still listen to a lot of the music that, that I listened to when I was a teenager. Right. Um, you know, I put on uh, the Blue Niles heat wave. It was with, you know, my wife and daughter having breakfast the other morning and I right. put that walk across the rooftops record on. And, you know, that's, that song to me still is like an amazing recording. And, um, and so I, I think I, you know, my Canon sort of remains fairly um, consistent, um, but, you know, things sort of, sort of, it, it gets expanded and certain things, you know, like, Again, I, I don't want to necessarily say it's going to enter my canon, but like, like I heard a new Future Island song the other day right. that was just like really cool, and I was like, oh, that's that's awesome. Or you know, there's a band called Midlake that I that you know maybe not super well known, but that you know they they make these really great records that I just really enjoy. So like there, of course, there are new bands that come up, right. Wild Beasts. That unfortunately they broke up, but you know. Um, I think they made some really beautiful recordings. So there are things that get sort of added to it. And I guess, you know, what 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 should be apparent from American Psycho and Ledger Domain is that I sort of, you know, always as a as a kid, I I was always bouncing back and forth between sort of electronic music and acoustic music. And when I started my my career as a, you know, as a artist on Atlantic, I was in a much more sort of acoustic music phase, like organic music phase. And then sort of the electronic music sort of slowly filtered into things more and more, you know, in daylight and white limousine. And then obviously, you know, much more so with American Psycho and with Ledger Domain. Um, and, and now I've just sort of like, abandoned the 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 um the conflict between those things and i just i'm like i don't care if it's if it's a, a string arrangement right. or uh you know a modular synth kind of you know um environment or what you know wherever it's coming from i don't really care anymore it's just like as long as it's as it's creating some sort of emotional effect um, that I'm looking for, it's all good with me. So, um, so that's a very <laughs> um, wandering answer to your question. Sorry. No, problem. no problem. I'm glad you mentioned White Limousine because it's got to talk about fantastic toys and corduroys. i
When I change my ways One of these days I know I'll make you proud Would I never say Because of busy days Yeah, so that, that's a song I wrote for my mom, you know. Um, uh, it was kind of a, a, a song of appreciation for everything that, you know, that she did for me um, uh, growing up and, and the sort of um, the, you know, all of the, uh, you know, my mom and I are very different people and despite okay. that, Right. she she kind of um she was able to to put aside um some of her concerns about what who i was and what i wanted to do and and support me and all that so that was just sort of a song to 
let her know how much I, I understood that and appreciated that. Right. Okay. And then um, one from, I guess, Great Expectations soundtrack, uh, Wishful Thinking. There's a kind of funny story behind that song, which is that um, at the time, uh, barely breathing was was a was actually at the time Alfonso Cuarón was making the movie Great Expectations or in the process of it. Barely breathing was a huge radio hit in Mexico as well, and you know he's. Like me, he's the kind of person where familiarity breeds contempt, and he was just like, "Ugh, that fucking song," you know. <laughs> like, and I, and he, I, I honestly think he did not want a Duncan Sheik song on on the record at all. Um, but he was polite enough to have a phone conversation with me, and I, you know, I talked to him for 15 minutes about the movie and what it was about, and he, you know, he kind of. Uh, I guess when I wrote and recorded the song, the Atlantic people were very happy with it. And, and, and he sort of, I think he sort of acquiesced and he put it in the movie kind of in the background of some scene. It's barely, barely here in the movie, but, um, but it was, you know, on the record, it was one of a couple songs that, 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 you know, it was a gold record. Um, And, uh, 
and people, you know, continue to really like that song a lot. So anyway, I'm again, I'm happy for all its flaws. I'm happy that it exists. Right. <laughs> and then one more, I guess, kind of bring it back to uh, Cafe Carlisle with a uh, legitimate uh, circling. Yeah, so circling, you know, that's a song that I, I wrote that the kind of the little piano motif that's that's throughout the song. I, I was in an opera house in Vienna. This sounds fancier than it is. I was right. in an opera house in Vienna. I was opening up for Suzanne Vega okay. and I was just playing solo. So I had this dressing room to myself and there was this piano in there that had a a very intense sort of soft pedal setting because it's in a dressing room, you know, and not supposed to be too loud. It's basically just a piece of felt that comes down right. between the hammers and the strings. But, and, and, you know, and it actually does something really beautiful to the sound of the piano where it's really sort of haunting and 
and and mellow and it just takes on a very different character um and so so that sort of little motif came, happened and i just played around with it for a few years um and then um you know it's not really i don't think it's any secret but i you know around that time a, a little around that time i was also uh i was also making a record with Holly Brooke, who became, you know, Skylar Gray. And, and, you know, that, unfortunately, that record never saw the light of day. And there was a little bit of like, I don't know, there was a sort of a, a certain amount of frustration about that whole situation. And so the song is a little bit about, about <clears throat> that, um, you know, kind of um, looking at what happened in my own career and looking at what happened in her career okay. and kind of trying to sort of take stock of those things and put them in some kind of perspective um, without making too much of a judgment about any of it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Will that album ever come out or no? I would love for it to see the light of day somehow, like even if it just exists as a sort of, you know, uh, a, a, an online. Right. Sort of, secret you know record but that of course is up to up to skylar um right uh you know so we'll see if one day she wants to put it out i think she probably will at some point all right cool but um live from kathy carlisle comes out december 3rd right december maybe is it the third or the eighth i you know i'm so i <laughs> it might it may be maybe december 3rd so. i don't know I, I yeah this yeah. you know, quarantine is screwed up with all my dates, so I'm not sure. But I, yeah. but I, I actually, I think it's the eighth. I thought it was the 11th, which is my daughter's birthday, but I think it's the eighth. Right. So, yeah. Okay. All right. So the first week, we'll say the first. Yeah. So yeah, the first week or so. Yeah. But yeah, Duncan, I really appreciate your time again today. Oh yeah, my my pleasure. Um, thank you so much. And a special thanks to Duncan for joining me today. Check out Live at the Cafe Carlisle. It comes out December 4th. And if you want to follow him on Twitter, he's at the Duncan Sheik. And if you have a guest suggestion, you can hit me up on Twitter at the first Noel 19 or like the page Living My Youth on Facebook. Go to iTunes, check out all the press episodes we've had. While you're there, you can rate and review the show. Don't have iTunes? Not a problem. Shows on SoundCloud, Podbean, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Go to livingmyyouth.threadless.com for all merchandise. The holidays are right around the corner. Pick something up. Maybe make great gifts. A new episode comes out every Wednesday. Stay safe, everybody. We'll see you next week.